Our text this Lord's Day is from Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. Proverbs 13, 20. <clears throat> He that walketh with the wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. How do those who are truly wise become wise? How do they grow in wisdom? Solomon was the wisest mere man uh, that ever lived. In 1 Kings 3.12 it says that there was not a wiser man before him nor a wiser man, mere man, after him. Of course the Lord Jesus uh, being the Son of God was wiser but there was not a, a wiser mere man than Solomon. Having such credentials as Solomon had, I would think that he probably has something to tell us that would be important about the subject of how we can become wise. Whether we're older or whether we're younger, Solomon has something from this text to say to us. And though I want those of us who are older to certainly glean that message from the text, I especially look out and see all of our young people and I especially have a heart that you would hear what Solomon has to say to you each one this Lord's Day. In this proverb Solomon gives us a most important and a very practical help and aid to becoming wise. Becoming wise children, wise young people, wise young adults. And if we choose to make those who are wise our best friends, we will become like them, Solomon says. But the opposite is also true. If we choose to make those who are foolish our best friends, then we will become like them as well. And how do we know who are our best friends? Well, I can give you an idea. You'll have to think through this, but I can give you an idea who probably are your best friends. It's those with whom you desire to spend the most time with. Those that you desire to be around most, those who are nearest and closest to you are probably your best friends. Those who are our best friends are the ones that are probably going to exercise the most influence in our lives. In our dreams, in our ambitions, they, they have an influence. In our, in our thinking, they have an influence in our speaking. They have an influence in our acting and our behavior. Those who are nearest and closest to us and we to them. And so we can evaluate how much time that we spend with those who are friends. But we need to also then evaluate how much time in comparison do we spend not only with earthly friends but with the Lord Jesus Christ. Is the Lord Jesus Christ falling so far short below the amount of time we spend with those special friends that 
it's hardly it, it it's hardly negligible. It's it, it's hardly measurable how little time we actually spend with the Lord Jesus in comparison to how much time we spend with others. And I, I think it's important that we understand when we're talking about spending time with with friends, we're not only talking about those that we see face to face, but we're also talking about the time that we spend on the internet. Those that we watch, the movies that we watch, uh, the programs that we watch, the music that we listen to also become our friends that we need to factor in how much time we are spending because Solomon says that if we want to be wise men, wise women, that we will walk with the wise. I submit to you that we can't truly want to be wise and to desire to be wise and not spend time with the Lord Jesus. It's impossible. That if we truly believe that we want to be wise, we have to go to him who is wisdom, who has become to us wisdom according to 1 Corinthians 1.30, who's been, who's been made unto us wisdom, the Lord Jesus. And the way we spend time with the Lord Jesus, obviously, is in our private time of worship, but I don't stop there. Uh, our family time of worship each Lord's, or each uh, evening, uh, as well as on the Lord's Day. But we spend time with Jesus in whatever we're doing throughout the day. If we don't take Jesus with us, if we're basically saying, uh, Jesus, you're not welcome in this part of my life, then there's not communion with Christ. But when we are taking the Lord Jesus with us, wherever we go, whatever we're doing, we are communing with him. Even if we're not kneeling by the bedside, even if we're not at that point uh, involved in some particular prayer to the Lord Jesus, we are com in communion with him when we take him with us when we consciously live in his presence, when he becomes, as it were, the air that we breathe, then we are communing with the Lord Jesus. As Christians, we may, in pride, all of us, we may in pride, consider ourselves to be wise. But if we are choosing daily to hang out with, in our free time, with those that are foolish, Solomon says, we're not wise. We're just fooling ourselves. Who we spend most time with, who becomes closest and nearest to us, is who we enjoy communion with and who we will become like. That's what Solomon is teaching us here. James says in James 4.4, 4, friendship with the world is enmity against God. When the world becomes our best friend, we make ourselves to be the enemy of God. From our text this Lord's Day, there are two parts to this verse, and we'll look at each of these parts. The first part is this, if we walk with the wise, we will be wise, in the first part of Proverbs 13.20. And the second part, if we walk with fools, we will be destroyed, Proverbs 13.20, the second part. And so let us consider the first main point, if we walk with the wise, we will be wise. So we need to understand, have kind of a working uh, definition 
what it is to be wise. What does a wise person look like? To give some idea as to what Solomon is talking about here, walking with the wise will become wise. <clears throat> Wisdom according to God's holy word is not the mere acquisition of knowledge of the truth. It is part of what wisdom is, but that is not in and of itself what wisdom is. Wisdom is not merely cramming our, our heads uh, full of facts so that if somebody asks us a theological question, that we can just spew out the answer from knowledge that's in our, our head. You see, knowledge of the truth in and of itself may either humble a man or a woman, or it may make that same person proud, depending on how that knowledge is used. Knowledge of the truth may make a man or a woman holy, or knowledge of the truth may make a man or a woman haughty. The more knowledge they get, the more proud they become. I'm certainly not disparaging knowledge of the truth at all. Because biblical wisdom is founded upon that foundation of the knowledge of the truth. There is no wisdom if there is no knowledge of the truth. We could perhaps think of it in this way, that knowledge of the truth is the root of wisdom, and yet wisdom is the fruit of knowledge of the truth. They go hand in hand. If we truly know as God wants us to know, we're going to be wise. And if we are truly wise, it's because there is that foundation of the knowledge of God's truth found in his word. Also concerning what wisdom is, wisdom is a grace. It's a free gift given to us. Wisdom is not something we earn or deserve uh, like any other grace we receive from the Lord. It's purchased for us by the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says we have the mind of Christ as those who are redeemed, as those who have been born again, as those who have place their faith and trust in Christ and united to Christ by faith. We have the mind of Christ. It's not a question of not having or having or not having the mind of Christ. It's a question of exercising the mind of Christ. And that's what wisdom is. Wisdom is applying the knowledge of the truth in our lives. Whatever situation we're in, day by day, wisdom is applying what we know to be right, to be sound, to be found in God's word. That's what wisdom is. And Jesus Christ, as we noted earlier, is wisdom. Uh, first of all, he's the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But he's also the wisdom of God as well. Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, In him, that is in Christ, are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Not just knowledge, but wisdom and knowledge are found in Jesus Christ. Therefore, to be in union with Jesus Christ, to trust him, to believe him, to receive him as Savior and as Lord, is to be in union with wisdom. To be in union with knowledge and with wisdom, to be united to Christ, such is the case. Wisdom and knowledge, as we said, are inseparable uh, from one another. And having Christ and being wise are inseparable as well. In order to be wise, we must be in Christ. And when we are in Christ, we will 
be wise because we've received wisdom. Again, it's a matter like in every grace that God gives to us, whether it's wisdom, whether it's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, whatever the grace is, it's a matter not of getting those graces, we have them in Christ. It's a, it's a matter of growing in those graces as Christians, and we need to grow in wisdom. Not just to say, I have wisdom. We need to grow in wisdom, and we grow in wisdom by exercising wisdom. View wisdom as a muscle, uh, that it has to be exercised. It has to be applied. We can't just sit back and, and be flabby spiritually, not exercising, practicing, applying God's truth in our lives. Let me illustrate for you uh, the connection here between the knowledge of the truth and, and wisdom. As Christians, we, we would certainly confess and profess and believe that, uh, that God is omniscient, God knows all things, and God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. There is no place in space that he is not. In fact, uh, he even transcends the space that he's created, and his being continues to go on and on beyond the universe that he has created. That's how great God is. There are no boundaries or limitations to God. And so we profess that truth. God knows all things and God sees all things. But how do we apply that truth? Well, let me suggest we apply that truth many ways, but in this particular way. Do we remember that God sees all and knows all when we're all by ourselves and no one else is looking over our shoulder? How do we behave? How do we speak? Are we two different people in different situations? Because God sees all and knows all. Do we act one way when there's no one around, when we're on our computer and what we watch or on our phones and what we watch or what we listen to? Because no one else, as far as a human being, is in within earshot of what we're doing. But we're practicing a kind of practical atheism when we do not apply the fact that God sees and God knows and that matters to us as Christians. That truth is very, very, or those truths are very, very practical. That's the application of wisdom. Not simply believing something, but applying what we know to be true. <clears throat> How do we grow in wisdom? Let me give you several ways as to how we grow in wisdom. First, by studying and filling our minds with the Word of God so that we know what we are to believe. We can't exercise wisdom without knowledge of the truth. How do we know how to, what to exercise? How do we know or uh, as far as what we are to practice by way of wisdom if there is not knowledge? So we need to know the truth. That's where, again, wisdom begins. The beginning of the fear of the Lord is, is the beginning of wisdom and, and, uh, and the beginning of knowledge. And that involves, again, when I say studying, filling our minds, not just a, a superficial reading. Uh, we can view reading our Bibles. We can view the time we spend with the Lord as if we're on a, a uh, you know, punching a clock for work. Um, or we can say, I delight in this. Even if, again, uh, it isn't as long of a period of time, if we're not delighting in what we're doing, uh, we're just going through the motions. We're not really growing in our knowledge of God's Word. 
All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, that is complete, mature, and every good work. How do we grow in wisdom? Secondly, uh, by communing with him who is wisdom, the Lord Jesus Christ, at those appointed times of worship, our own private secret worship with the Lord, our family worship together, and then Lord's Day worship. But we don't limit our communion with Christ to just those appointed times. As we said earlier, to commune with Christ is to take Christ with us wherever we go. Not to leave him behind. To let him have full reign, as he truly does, of our house. Not putting him in one room in the house and saying, uh, uh, you can't come out of that room. Or you can have all of these rooms in the house, but you can't come into this room. That room is just for me uh, to go into. No, um, again... Communing with Christ means we take Christ with us. We eat, we drink, we sleep the Lord Jesus. Again, we may be working, we may be doing various activities. We may not be involved in prayer uh, while we're working. But we've not excluded Jesus so that he places a thought in our minds. And we remember somebody in prayer. It's not something strange or foreign. Where did that come from? It comes from the Lord Jesus with whom we share that blessed communion, that precious communion as our best friend. Or there's a, something that the Lord places in our, our minds by way of thanksgiving or praise and we lift up our hearts to him right there on the spot. And we do so because we didn't leave him behind. He's come with us. And so that's the, that's the mindset, that's the attitude of those who commune with Jesus Christ throughout the day. Thirdly, how do we grow in wisdom? By loving wisdom. By cherishing wisdom. By desiring to be wise. By wanting wisdom, desiring wisdom more than we want and desire entertainment. More than we desire earthly treasures. Not that entertainment is wrong in itself. Not that earthly treasures are wrong in themselves. But we desire communion with Jesus Christ even more than those things. More than relationships. More than earthly success. We desire, above all else, that place where there is peace, where there is contentment, where there is joy in the presence of the Lord our God. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 1611. Solomon earlier in Proverbs chapter 3 tells us how we ought to seek after wisdom. Proverbs 3 beginning with verse 13. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all things thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is everyone 
that retaineth her. That's how we ought to pursue and desire wisdom. Fourthly, how do we grow in wisdom? As we have noted, not only by communing with Christ, but by, by also spending time with those who are wise. Spending time with those who are wise. That's what Solomon says here in our text. Solomon declares that those who would sincerely desire to grow in wisdom must prefer time spent with those who are wise over those who are foolish. If we would truly grow in wisdom, we must desire and want to be with those who are wise rather than with those who are foolish. And as you are looking and thinking about, well, who are those who are wise uh, that I know that I can spend time with, let me suggest to you that the wise may not be those who are most popular. Even within Christian circles, those who are most popular. The wise may not be those who are the most public. The wise may, to the contrary, be those who are reserved, who take more of a back seat, rather than, like myself, being in a more public type of a situation as a minister. The wise may not have the most flashy gifts and abilities, but they are faithful. They are faithful with what God has given to them. Let me tell you again, this is who the wise are. The wise will be Christians who take their faith in Jesus Christ seriously. Who take the truth of Jesus Christ seriously, without compromise. The wise would be those who, on the one hand, they, they do not pretend to be perfect. They do not pretend to know it all. They do not pretend uh, to, uh, to be those who look down their noses at others because they are so wise. But they are humble. They are those who practice righteousness, not only profess righteousness, but they practice it in their fam beginning in their families. So that they are again not two different people when they're outside their family than they are within their family. That they are the same person. That's practicing righteousness. We don't put on again a a facade if we are truly wise. We are the same person wherever we are, because, again, we are in the presence of the Lord God. He sees all and knows all. The one who is wise is also one who wants to grow in love, desires to grow in loving God more and more, and desires to grow in loving one's neighbor more and more. Love involves sacrifice. Is willing to sacrifice what he or she has in order to be faithful to Jesus Christ. And is willing to sacrifice for one another. And one who is wise, very practically, will be one who will listen closely to the sermon and will not forget it after the sermon is over and never think about it again, but will dwell, meditate, reflect upon the sermon and will seek to practice what was agreeable 
to God's word in the sermon. And so the one who is wise is not wise again because of the gifts that one has, but because of faithfulness. Doesn't matter whether one has, again, large gifts, small gifts, one gift, many gifts, it doesn't matter. The wise person is the one who uses whatever gifts one has and dedicates it to the Lord God for his service. It may be, again, running machinery. Uh, it may be uh, cooking. It doesn't matter. Whatever gift God has given, the wise man, woman, child, young person, young adult, is that one that takes that gift and rather than burying it in the ground, uses it for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. says, basically, take this gift, Lord. It may not be much in the sight of the world, but it is much in thy sight, because thou hast given it unto me. Use it for the glory of Christ. And then, if you would grow in wisdom, consciously seek to spend time with those who redeem the time, redeem their talents, redeem their treasures, rather than those who are wasting them, rather than with those who are lazy when it comes to time, treasure, and talent. Because if you are hanging around and those are your best friends and closest friends who are just wasting their whole day doing things that are without profit, without benefit, you too will become like them. That's what Solomon says. But look for those who are using, who are redeeming the time, the talents, and the treasures God has given unto them. Want to be around them. Want to be like them in that regard. The three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were wise, not because of their maturity in years, to the contrary, they were teenagers. But they were wise. Why? Because they would not bow the knee to the image of Nebuchadnezzar. They were wise because they applied the commandment of God, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. They applied it. They not only knew it, but they applied it. And they applied it by not bowing down to that image. Let me ask you some questions. Do you desire to spend your time with those who are wise? Does that even enter into your mind? Has it, you know, crossed the radar at all? That you've actually given some thought, I want to spend my time with those who are wise. I want to spend my time with those who have an appetite for Jesus Christ. With those who yearn to know more and more and more of our precious Savior and Lord. With those who seek to use their knowledge, their gifts, their graces to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. God says, if these are the people with whom you desire to spend your time and to be like, you will be like them. You will grow to be like them. They will grow to have a greater influence in your life. 
to your benefit, to your growth in Jesus Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul means. Philippians 3.17 When he says, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk as ye have us for an example. Follow us. Likewise in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12, Paul says, That ye be not slothful, that is, lazy, but followers of them, followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Be like them, follow them. Walk in their footsteps. <clears throat> this is not idolatry to follow those who follow Christ because we're not following mere men. We're following them because they follow Christ. We're following them and we want to be like them because we see Christ in them. Because we see the wisdom of Christ within them. That's why we follow them. We don't follow men simply because of the position, the authority that they have in the church. We don't follow men simply because of the number of academic degrees that they have behind their name. We follow men who follow Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Be ye followers of me as I am also of Jesus Christ. And the second main point we'll work our way through very much more quickly, but the second main point is if we walk with fools, we will be destroyed, Solomon says. Just as we talked about what is wisdom, let's also talk about what is foolishness. What characterizes a foolish person? Well, first of all, a foolish person uses mere knowledge to impress others. There's pride within a foolish person's mind when it comes to knowledge. You see, in the foolish person, knowledge is about oneself, exalting oneself, making some oneself seem uh, greater uh, in uh, the circle of people that they are with. Whereas, again, uh, when we have Wisdom, it's not, it's not about us. It's not about us being smarter than this person or just knowing more than that person in order to exalt ourselves. It's about how we can glorify God with that knowledge, how we can help others with that knowledge. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8.1 Knowledge puffeth up. That is, mere knowledge. Just the acquisition of facts, of knowledge, that puffs up. But charity, that is love, edifieth. Knowledge, mere knowledge, puffs up. Love builds up. And that does not mean love without knowledge, but not love with knowledge. The key is to put knowledge and love together, just like the key is to put knowledge and wisdom together, not to separate them. What characterizes a foolish person? Secondly, a, a foolish person is uh, willful and is stubborn. The foolish person must have things his or her way rather than God's way. And again, God's way 
as I have said, I'm, I am specifically wanting to draw you who are young people into the sermon today because Solomon continues to say throughout the Proverbs, my son, my son, my son, listen to me. And so likewise, God the Father appeals to you. My daughter, my son, listen to me. And we can think, well, what my parents want me to do is not the same thing as God speaking to me. Uh, when in fact, unless what your parents tell you to do is contrary to God's will, it is what God wants you to do. Honor your, thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the earth, or on the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Yes, it is God's will. Likewise, God's will and God's commandments to the foolish person are a huge burden that they have to carry Whereas to the wise person, God's commandments are a delight. They take great joy in God's commandments. 1 John 5.3 says, His commandments are not grievous. Not for the one who is truly wise. They're not grievous. But again, to the one who is foolish, yes, God's commandments are grievous. They're a huge burden. Thirdly, a foolish person may fill the head with knowledge, but again, does not desire to apply it in his life. And I'll apply this in a particular way. The Lord tells us to repent when we have sinned, whether we've sinned against him uh, in a very direct way, or we've sinned against one another. The wise man the wise woman, the wise young person, child, is quick to repent of sins and offenses committed against one another, sibling against sibling as well. The foolish person doesn't want to repent. And if there is some apology made, it's, it's not really from the heart. Uh, it's simply a duty, a responsibility, something, but it's not truly something that he wants or she wants to do. But a wise person desires to repent because a wise person wants reconciliation in that relationship, fellowship with God, restored fellowship between a husband and a wife, restored Fellowship between siblings restored, friends restored. A wise person loves that reconciliation, brings together. Fourthly, what characterizes a foolish person? A foolish person prefers the wisdom of the world over the wisdom of God that's found in Scripture. The foolish person simply looks at the ex so-called experts of the world, looks at the majority opinion within a country, a nation, and says, I'm going to follow the experts. I'm going to follow the, the majority, even when the experts and the majority contradict what God says in his word. We don't have to discount experts simply because they're experts. But when they, again, contradict what God has given to us in his word, we don't follow them simply because they're experts or because they have so many academic degrees behind their name. We follow what God says. He is truth. He is wisdom. 
Solomon says that those who are foolish here desire to spend their time with those who are like them. That is, foolish as well. We can kind of tell where we're at, you know, in our walk with the Lord. Do we want to spend our time with those who are foolish? Do we want to spend our time with those who are wise? Where we're at in our walk with the Lord will probably be revealed by simply that question. Who do you want to spend your time with? Who do you benefit from the most? Who has the most influence and impact in your life? When Solomon speaks of here the companion of fools, the Hebrew word for companion comes from a word that means to feed. Thus, companions were those in the Hebrew thought and mind that would spend time eating, drinking, communing together around the table. That was a companion. Now we may, we may spend time with unbelievers. The Lord Jesus certainly spent time with unbelievers. We may spend time with unbelievers if they are open to the truth and desire to hear the truth. Jesus was called a friend of sinners in Matthew eleven nineteen. He met with the ungodly. He ate with crooked tax collectors, with immoral harlots, and even with self-righteous Pharisees. But he didn't meet with them to compromise with them in their sin and in their error. He met with them in order to bring them out of their sin and their error. He met with them to bring to them light, not to share with them in their darkness. And so we should do likewise. But I would just offer the, the, the following warning with regard to time that we spend in order to help unbelievers. These warnings. Choose where you will spend time with such sinners well. Don't spend time with those of the opposite sex in private, on a religious, supposedly religious crusade. Don't spend time in private. Whether it's face-to-face -face or whether it's on the internet, do not spend time in private with the unbelievers in isolated places. Don't go into the dens of iniquity. For example, don't go to parties where you know there's going to be all manner of temptation. Don't go to parties in order to bring those who are attending parties out of the parties, meet with them in a safe location. Generally, I think it's a good idea that in seeking to lead unbelievers to Christ or to disciple new Christians, that men meet with men and women meet with women. It is again, often through those types of interactions and associations that those involved are led into temptations that they would otherwise not have been led into. And in ministering, seeking to minister, take the gospel of Jesus Christ to unbelievers. Don't compromise the truth in order to build rapport with an unbeliever. Doesn't work. 
They will not respect you. They will basically say, why should I become like you when you're just like me? Why should I change when there's not that much difference between you and me? But when we are standing for the truth of Jesus Christ, and we are sharing the love of Christ, and our heart is burdened for them, they will be able to see that, and the light that you have is that which will draw them to Christ. Of course, they may hate you for that as well. Uh, the light doesn't always bring people to Christ. The light is hated and despised because people prefer the darkness that they're living in. And they don't want the light to expose their darkness. And carefully note what Solomon says here, that those who choose to spend time with the foolish will not only become like the foolish, but Solomon even goes farther than that. He says that those who want to spend time with the foolish and do so will be destroyed. Their lives will be destroyed. Their families will be destroyed. Their marriages will be destroyed. They will be destroyed. If that's who we delight to be around, are those who are, are those that are foolish. With such consequences at stake, dear ones, it beho behooves us to weigh so carefully such questions as these as we come to a close. This question. With whom do we desire to spend our time? God, search our hearts. That's what we ought to be praying. Lord, search my heart. With whom do I desire to spend time? Second question. Who do I want to be like? Who do I want to be like? Another question. Who are my heroes? Who are my heroes and why are they my heroes? Are they movie stars? Are they rock stars? Are they athletes? Are they intellectuals? Now I'm not saying that that God does not gift even unbelievers with amazing gifts of common mercy from whom we can learn. And we can learn much from them. Musicians, artists, that we can learn from them in certain areas that God has gifted them. They may not acknowledge God has given them those gifts, but nevertheless, God has given them that those gifts. We can learn from those who are non-Christians. But the point that I think Solomon is making here is when we are consumed with those who are unbelievers, who are foolish because they have not received the wisdom of God, then we are seeking to be like them when we're consumed with them. When that's who we spend all our time with, any free time we have, that's who we spend our time with, rather than listening to podcasts, watching uh, programs, that are going to build us up in our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. Make us stronger. Teach us his truth. Apply his truth in our lives. You see, the answer to those questions that were just asked can be easily determined. How you ask can they be easily determined? Well, again, by answering this question, how much time in the course of the week do we spend following those people?
whether, again, podcasters, movie stars, music stars, uh, sports figures, whatever it may be, how much time do we spend following them as opposed to spending time with Christ and communion with him, communion with those who are wise, those that we're going to benefit from by way of sermons, by way of, uh, as I said, podcasts, programs that are going to build us up in Christ in our time of secret worship and family worship and public worship. Because we have to realize there is a communion. There is a communion. We, we perhaps have not thought of it in this way, but we are communing with those that we are watching on the computer. We're communing with those that we're listening to. There's a communion going on. And we have to ask those hard questions if we're serious about being wise. So do we want to spend time with those who are wise, like Christ? Are we attracted to them because they are wise? because they take their faith seriously, because they are standing for the truth of Jesus Christ. And so, in the words of Solomon, Proverbs 13, 20, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Please stand with me in prayer. Our Father, we thank Thee for Thy truth, and Lord, Thy truth hurts. Thy truth convicts us. It is like a sword that pierces into our innermost being reveals our thoughts and our intents. But Lord, thy word also soothes. It also comforts. Thy word is precious and it does not leave us in our sin, but it opens unto us that mercy which is found in Jesus Christ. Lord, help us, even as we have been convicted by thy Holy Spirit, all of us, even today, and as we examine ourselves and re-examine ourselves in light of thy truth, that our Lord, thou would guide and direct our paths and help us in making those adjustments in our life where thou dost show us that we have become consumed with the world. We're not simply learning from certain people who are given very uh, amazing gifts in the world, but Lord, we are so attached to them and we are so following them that we are consumed with them when we ought to be consumed with Christ, when we ought to be consumed with thy, thy people uh, who are walking in wisdom. Pray, Father, minister to our young people, our young adults, our children. Their life is ahead of them. Let them learn, our God, these principles while they are young. Give to them, Lord, a heart to receive thy holy word. For we desire, Lord, for them to be wise. And where we have, Lord, led them astray as parents, forgive us. Because we, Lord, confess that we have not been consistent and we have not set as well an example before them in which to walk. 
We pray, Lord, minister to our families. Bind us together as thy people in love and truth and in wisdom, the application of truth in our lives. This we ask in the name of Christ, who is our wisdom. Amen. Amen.